Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. Today we are joined by Adrian Hondros, where we talk about what CEOs are looking for when hiring teams. Today we are here with Adrian Hondros, and I have had the pleasure of knowing Adrian, if you can believe it, for over 30 years. Oh God. I know, I know, I know. Thank God for filters. <laughs> Adrian is currently the managing director of Hondros Consulting, and he serves on several boards. He was also CEO of Porter Davis. He was head of CBA Private Bank, and literally over the last 30 years has, has had um, managing director, CEO type role. So he's well equipped to talk about our subject today. And I should also say, Adrian, that you were the subject of the top 10 percenters, which is a part of a, a chapter in my book. And it's about the people and the, the um, senior executives in the industry who have consistently done things right and why they're at the top and the behaviors that they've had. So you know, um, Christina, you probably don't know this, but when I was doing executive search, Adrian was the youngest general manager at the time. And I think it was like 1997 or something like that. And he he was 28, but, wow. he, looked old, but he looked older. And now he still looks 28. <laughs> changed. It yeah, it changed. <laughs> And it was quite it was quite impressive because there weren't very many people. Well, there weren't any. And I used to say, Adrian Hondros is the youngest general manager in the industry. This is what you need to look at when you're um, uh, hiring people. And anyway, we had a great relationship and we did a lot of work together. And it's so great having you. And we want to talk about what you know, what is it that CEOs are looking for when they're hiring their team? So I'm going to start with you, Adrian, because you know, you've had that experience. So when you're looking to hire a new team, what are some of the, the skills people need? And what do you look for? Yeah, thanks, Judith. And thank you, Christina. Great to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, it's a great question. And it's such an important one. The reality is, is that any successful chief executive or any successful leader has to have the right team around them and the team really at the end of the day enables the success the CEO the managing director is there to enable the team so it's absolutely critical you've got to have the right people around you and in my new business Honduras Consulting the first question I ask my clients who are the business leaders entrepreneurs CEOs I ask them have you got the right team around you to win and it's a binary yes or no and that and that's it. You can't go, oh, maybe, or, oh, yeah, I would have if I had a change on this person or that person. So it's an absolutely critical question. And I think it's both an absolute and relative question, Judith. So on the one hand, you've got the absolute skills that you're looking for, for whichever particular executive or leadership role you're seeking to fill. But on the other hand, you've got the relative question, as in what's the right addition to the team? What's the right complement to the existing team? So you must look at it from both an absolute and relative point of view, particularly in the context of seeking the right degree of diversity across the team to ensure that you get the right degree of diverse thinking and diverse leadership across the team. So you do want that role to find the best person 
with the skills, experience and capabilities to fill the role. But if you've got two or three that are close on all those things, you need to step back and look at the rest of your team and think, who's the right one of those three that would be the best complement to the existing team? Which is the one that is most accretive to the total skills and capabilities of that team? Which is the one that brings a more completeness to that team's skills matrix or overall capability as a leadership or executive group? So, as I say, I see it as both a relative and an absolute question. Christina, what about you? In terms of recruiting in recruiting people to senior leadership roles, yeah, I think it's 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 interesting and it's very situational. I think it depends on the size of your business, the nature of your business. Um, Judith and I were chatting earlier on around you'd be what. Well, I was making a comment back to Judith that in a startup, I'd be recruiting very, very differently to a larger organisation. So I think you don't have the same tolerances in a small, in a really small organisation or a real startup. And we were just having a, a banter about how, how different that would be. I think in a larger organisation, yeah, you do the skills analysis and you do the skills audit and you work out what it is that you, that you need. Um, I also suspect that as leaders, we're consciously recruiting differently, that we are recruiting with a little more intention around some of the softer skills, whereas a decade or two ago, when when we were all coming through the ranks, we would have been looking really hard at, are they a good rainmaker? Are they a good salesperson? Are they a good marketer? And we weren't necessarily doing a very deep dive into the interpersonal, intrapersonal kind of skills. So I think I think the way we recruit is different, and it's you know to your point, it's kind of it's situational. Situational. Hey, I got a question for you guys. Um, so if you're recruiting someone, and let's say you've got your preferred candidates, is there an interview question that you ask? ask them that is a, is a, a fail safe like you know I'm going to ask them this one because this one this one is one that really will give me a really good idea of if they're right for this role or not have you got something in your <laughs> bag of tricks <laughs> uh, well I don't think I've got one absolute uh, fail safe but I do think Judith it's just so important to just ask people good open questions and just see what comes and I just find it fascinating that sometimes you ask a good open question about why are you interested in this role? Very simple. Or why do you want to leave the organisation you're currently with? Or why do you want to join this organisation? Very simple questions. And you just pause and just let them go. And it's incredibly insightful what comes when you do just let people go off the back of a very open question. So I've always tended to like to ask relatively straightforward, relatively simple questions and let the candidate do the talking. And it's amazing what you can discover through that. And quite frankly, sometimes they talk themselves in or out. (laughs) Are you recruiting differently these days? Are you consciously recruiting differently? If you look back at your 28, 29-year-old general manager self and how you recruited then and what you looked for then, are you looking looking for different things with the wisdom that you've gained since then? Well, I had a great coach at the time, being Judith, (laughs) so, <laughs> Thank so, you. No, so anything that I've learned, I've learned from Judith. <laughs> You're saying all the right things, Adrian. <laughs> always, always. Uh, so I don't know whether it's fundamentally different. So I think the fundamentals uh, are 
eternal. And so I'm not sure that it's fundamentally different. Clearly, as things change, different skills and expertise uh, come into play to a greater or less degree. And Christina, you mentioned uh, the so-called soft skills. I'd talk about that in the context of how capable is a leader in engaging the people around them, not telling them what to do, but engaging with them. And to what degree is that leader able to achieve what I describe as followship? Uh, so just as a reference point, uh, Barbara Kellerman, uh, well-known out of Harvard Business School, she has a whole body of work that she refers to as followership. I've changed it to followership, which is easier to say. <laughs> and it's all about uh, the leader's capability of, of mobilising the organisation. Quite frankly, are people willing to follow that leader and are they willing to do the discretionary effort required, sometimes day and night, to get the job done? So I think a leader's ability to engage, I think, has become uh, far more prominent. And then there's some more obvious things, I think, such as skills in um, digital information, in uh, IT and information te technology, particularly around cyber security. That wasn't something that Judith and I would have talked about 30 years ago, but wow. <laughs> so I think it's a, it's a range of things. Some of it's subject matter expertise, some of it's more the nuances of leading people. I think, you know, that's a, I, I think looking at a lot of the executives that I placed over the years, one of the things that I noticed between the high achievers was that they were very good communicators and they were and they communicated their their achievements very well so they were very good at being able to go here's the situation this is how i did it and here's what the result is and and actually but say it with passion because yeah i mean you know adrian i did a lot of assignments where i did the internal process and right. I did the external process at the same time. And sometimes I'd get resumes from internal candidates that would all have the exact same achievement on it. So, you know, one went to the photocopier, one actually wrote up the back and one actually did it. And, and the thing is when you'd, when you'd interview them and you ask them the question, you really could see who actually did it because they knew detail and they had the passion and they were able to get the, give the results. So I always found that you know, the people in moving up in their career, if they can communicate really well and own their achievements, be able to um, communicate that, yeah. then, you know, they're going to they're going to be off to to a good start. You have to do that. Yeah. You have to be able, and you don't need to be because usually a lot of times they were the silent achievers. So they yeah. weren't the ones that um, went out there and would blow their own horn. They were the ones who were. I don't need to tell everybody how great I am because I already know it. And but because this is what I did. And um, and, you know, Adrian, you were a silent achiever. You didn't go out there and tell everybody, you know, what you did. People knew people knew because you, you you brought people on board and, you know, that and also good. The good communicators would be able to go. This is the achievement. But these people were involved. Yeah. And they bring their teams in, and that's a that's a really that's a skill I believe that you need to to practice to be able to go. You know, I didn't do it all on my own. Yeah, it was my idea, but I can't do it on my own. I had to bring these people in, and then this is what happened, and this is what we did together. So you knowing the I and the we. Yeah, so I think it's a great point. I mean, I think leaders such as chief executives really should be judged to a degree by the accolades that their people collect not by the accolade that the leader themselves collect. And I think that's really, so I'd prefer to be judged by the trophy cabinet 
of my executive team rather than myself, um, because at the end of the day, that role of being um, the leader of the business and the executive is to ensure everyone else is successful. And just on communication, so particularly in crisis, such as the COVID crisis we've all endured, but generally speaking, uh, communication is just so important at so many levels. And to me, I distill it down to communication is the way that you provide people the level of clarity they need to get through the ambiguity and get the job done. And so communication from the leader, particularly the person leading the business, is so important to give people the clarity and the context to get the job done and not get distracted by the noise and the ambiguity or depending on what's going on, the fear or the anxiety that might be featuring as well. So I see communication as just such an important skill and such an important tool uh, for a leader to achieve what they seek to achieve for the organisation. Yeah, it seems to be coming up as a theme in a number of the conversations we're having with our guests. Actually, we had a fantastic conversation with Gabriel Dolan the other day around the power of storytelling. And for anyone that's listening, if that um, podcast hasn't gone live yet, I'm tuning in because it's a really it's a really good one. But it touches on exactly this conversation. It's not enough to mobilise people and get followership by logic alone, by yeah. presenting rational ag- arguments. I'm sorry, we've had to retrench all these people because it's good for the bottom line. Um, that's not going to mobilise people or create followership. So this whole art of, and she calls it storytelling or was framed yeah. as storytelling, and we're using the language here as, as communication or mobilising people, it is so critical and it's really wonderful to hear you articulate that as a, as a very, very important attribute of, of a leader. It's, it's just critical. And we can all think of leaders that we've been led by uh, over the decades and those that are good communicators, it just, it's just such a better experience than those that aren't. And those that aren't really need to get these coaching, the support, the mentorship, the skilling uh, to improve themselves in that regard, because it really can be quite a quite a handbrake on people's careers if they're not good communicators. So I'm going to throw a little spanner in the works here. <laughs> um, lots of people at senior uh, mid level to senior level are good communicators. Sure. So how do you separate the all show from no go? And, you know, as far as you got great candidates, you're down to the wire. They're great at communicating, but can they do the job? And that's probably one of the hardest things for um, people to to differentiate when they are hiring because they are good at communicating when they go through. So how do you find the go people? Who would you like to take that? Who wants to take that? <laughs> Who wants to? <laughs> I mean, I guess there's there's some classic there's some classic traditional ways, which is obviously reference checking is is critical, and not necessarily going to referees that have been given to you. Do your own research. Work out where these people have worked. Go and talk to your own contacts. You'll pretty quickly find out. Who are the um, what's the acronym? Fig jams, um, and who are the real achievers? Um, so that's, that's, that's one that's you know one one very basic way in any industry that you're working in industries are small and people like to talk about people so go and ask people that have worked for that person yeah, yeah. don't just exactly go right. to the list that's been given you yeah i think that's exactly right so uh, to me totally agree and it's a pretty simple way of going about it and it's very reliable so to me it's it's form and substance so they may be demonstrating great form, as you say, Judith, through their communication skills, but 
what's the substance behind that and what's been the experience that people have had as a leader. So to Christina's point, go and find some people that have worked in the immediate orbit of that person and find out what the experience was like and do their words and actions meet. And, uh, and I have a very strong view that you're not going to be able to mobilise an organisation towards strategic goals. You will not create the degree of followership that you need unless your words and actions meet. They must be very, very similar. Otherwise, you're ineffective as a leader because people don't believe what you're saying. And what's the moral of that story? The moral of that story is don't burn your bridges because when you get to those senior level positions and that people do uh, ask other people around you, they might be asking someone who's not going to say very nice things about you. And maybe it's because they just don't like you because you made them redundant. So you got to be very careful about how you do things. Because the higher you get, the less competition, but the tougher it is, and the more they're likely to check you out. I'm going to tell you a quick story about that. Yeah. I had someone who, and I won't mention names, but I was I was um, pitching for a very senior role, which was uh, at EGM level, and another big firm got it. And I was really annoyed because I should have got it. I would have done a better job. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the managing director of that company called me and actually had the nerve to ask me for reference on the candidate that they were going to hire. What? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and anyway, and the candidate that they were going to hire, I wouldn't have put on even a long, long, long list. Wow. So, so they go, what do you... So it, <laughs> I just want to call you and ask you... Is this anybody that I know? <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. So anyway, I said, I said um, look, um, I'm, I'm not going to comment on that person. I said, but if I was you, I would do really, really good references. Now, what would you do, Adrian, if I said that you'd say, danger zone, I should go. Flashing amber light. Amber light. <laughs> well, they hired him and he was a disaster. And, you know, ha ha. Because you know why? I heard that they gave references, uh, the people that gave references didn't like the company and thought that was hilarious for them giving reference. <laughs> they were setting up the other company. <laughs> yeah. you gotta, That's terrible. That's if terrible. you don't use the right, if you don't use the right company to do to hire your most important <laughs> talent, I'm telling you, that's what happens. Yeah, that's great. It's like it. So it's. <laughs> I'd like to flip the conversation a little bit and and take it down the path of, as somebody moving from being on the tools sort of early on in your career and transitioning to more of a leadership role, I've often found there was like a little inflection point or a little hiccup point. And, and I experienced it myself and the, and the people that I coach that are transitioning through that phase. It seems to be that, that part where you're used to getting value, your own gratification out of having done the job. And now all of a sudden you're being asked to lead others or create pathways and not do the work anymore. And there can be that point of difficulty in terms of letting go and picking up other things to fill your day. Does that sound familiar to you, Adrian, in terms of that inflection point? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think, Christine, everyone... I'm sure goes through some form of inflection point in that regard because the reality is, is that you're used to being a subject matter expert. The reason often, and it may not be even the right reason, but usually in organisations, 
because you're a subject matter expert and you admire for your knowledge on things, you tend to therefore get elevated. And sometimes that's the right thing. Sometimes it's not. We've all met examples of both. Uh, but there is usually an inflection point. And one of the ways of dealing with that, my advice to those that are um, looking to progress through organisations and attain middle management and senior management roles is to have people to refer to, to have people to talk to that I would describe as safe harbours. So people you can turn to and say, look, I'm struggling with this, or I've got a person in my team that I'm really not quite connecting with, or I'm having trouble letting go of what I used to do and having other people do it, you know, in inverted commas, they don't do it as well as I could. So you need you so need true. To, so you true. Need to so I'd encourage uh, those that are looking at uh, really committing to a longer-term career in management and leadership, you need people to refer to. But also I would say grab hold of the opportunities that organisations are putting forward or associations are putting forward where you can learn and grow through extra skilling and extra learning, extra accreditation. That can be uh, very valuable as well. You know, uh, we talk a lot about working from home and, and people not having to go in the office and everything. We keep going. <laughs> how, how are people going to be seen? And how are they going to, you know, like network and, you know, uh, you're shaking your head going, no, get back in the <laughs> You challenged by it, Adrian? Is that a challenge for you? Uh, yeah, look, I'll reflect. And Judith and I have talked about this um, from time to time. So I reflect on my last... Um, senior role with uh, Porter Davis Homes as chief executive in Melbourne during the uh, COVID uh, pandemic in Melbourne, of course, was harder than most cities on the planet to deal with. And um, it became incredibly apparent to me that due to the isolation, while we did numerous, countless Zoom calls and endeavoured to keep people up to date as best we could, even if we didn't know what was going to happen next, uh, the reality was was the informal organisation was lost. And uh, even back to my university days, you know, you learn about the formal and informal organisation and so much is shared, so much is gained, so much is learned, so much is communicated by the informal organisation and really the pandemic and the isolation we all experienced effectively removed it and caused people to miss out on so many different development opportunities. And to Judith's point, uh, you know, I just strongly believe that people need to be mostly back in the environment. And Porter Davis, I used to say, I want you to come in at least three days a week was the way I put it. And I do genuinely believe that three or four days a week for most people in most roles in most organisations is what's required because there's a culture to be developed. There's a culture that needs to thrive. So, and, and so much to be learned and gained from being with your colleagues and your managers and things. It's just such a shame that, you know, there are some people who I think are going to forever miss out on that. It really is a loss. Yeah, unless there's real intentionality and we, um, another promo for another podcast, um, listen to the Darren Murph podcast around remote work because okay. he super challenged us around what remote work looks like and that what happened in the pandemic is not what remote work should be. It was just our emergency response. And it's really fascinating to hear how he framed it in terms of we need to go into it with intentionality. We need to hire a leader of remote work like we would hire a CTO or a CFO or, and we need to design it that it's, it's what was the expression, Judith? It's a product, not a... Um, it's a product, not a perk. Not a perk. 
And, and unless we have intentionality around it, we will have all the issues that you and Judith have been talking about. It, you won't have the opportunities to learn and the incidental stuff and the culture building stuff. That will be what will happen and it won't be great. Um, but if there is intentionality around it, intentionality and structure around it, you've got yeah. a much better, you've got a much better chance of it being successful. But it is really contentious. This whole area is very contentious yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Really, is. there's got to be a structure. There's got to be a structure on it. And and really, you kind of think, well, I think an ideal situation would be, you know, you have people in a, you know, like let's say Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and maybe they can work from home Monday, Friday. But it can't be just you know, if the office is there, you can come in if you want to, because it will disadvantage people. So it's got to be one, there's got to be a set structure. That's my view anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I agree with you, but that's okay. We're allowed to disagree. <laughs> yeah, I think they're leaning towards some form of structure, even if it's a little bit varied from team to team. Uh, but I just think it's absolutely critical to have that um, social interaction. That's, I mean, that's how, we've, that's how we were created. That's how we're made. Uh, it's okay. just to miss out on it. I'm sure there's many different structures and frameworks you could employ, but as long as there is consistent interaction, I just think that's just so critical to people's health and well-being, their development, so many things. Yeah. I do too. I, I like. I can't think of anything worse than being in my 20s and being stuck at home, or my 30s being stuck at home working from home all the time, and not and and also when I think back of some of the pe from some of the people that I learned from. You know, they were my bosses and people who were just around and clients and that type of thing. And, you know, I just love the, the being there. And I know it's not a one size fits all for everyone, but it's kind of like Christina said, there's got to be intentionality to whatever the process is. And if you are going to have a remote um, business, someone's got to manage it and they've got to have um uh, they manage the community and intentional about bringing people together so that they have that but look i mean it really i think it really does depend on businesses as well different and, and positions and divisions and it's you know it's not an it's not an easy thing to to decide but i think the mental health part of it is one like you need to be out there with people you, do. you need to you need to be having conversations and being in front of them if you, I don't know about you, but after you have a few Zoom meetings, I feel a lot more exhausted than if I was sitting in oh, front yeah. of you. Yeah. It just, yeah. it's draining. It's, oh, it's draining. Oh, absolutely. It's, there's no doubt. I mean, I've got, uh, my wife and I, Emma, have got four children. Um, three are in their 20s. That one's almost in his 20s and they're at um, work or university. And uh, they don't mind having a little bit of time at home from time to time to work, but holistically they want to be at work or at university and enjoying that social interaction particularly in your formative years in your 20s to your point Judith it's just so critical to who you become later in life it's such a shame to miss out on that yeah exactly exactly I mean I can see when you get later in your 30s and you're married and you need you need to have flexibility and things like that but again it's dependent but w when we were talking to Darren it was kind of like I get it but it's got to be intentional and there's got to be a structure and you do have to have someone or division that's actually going to be focused on that for a whole bunch of different reasons. But the, um, but getting, just getting back to the, the C, you know, hiring C, um, hiring your teams, when you go from one organization to the other, and I know you have before, and we've had conversations on this yeah. before, <laughs> but 
one of the things that I always noticed was that um, and for Katrina, when Adrian would go into an organization, he didn't take any of the people from the old organization. And that was very admirable because he wanted to get to know the new organization and the people there. And I also remembered when I did um, an internal si assignment for you one time yeah. at one of the organizations that I had the biggest response of internal candidates that I'd ever had because everybody wanted to work for Adrian. And because they had known that he, there's no favoritism, it's equal, it's, you know, there's a process, that type of thing. So tell me about, you know, like, what do you think that when you go to a new organization, how do you, how do you bring in the new team? And yep. sorry, what are you looking for in that new team? And what are the things that you evaluate because obviously they're bringing you in there to make change, yes, to grow the business. So you've got to, what are some of the things that you're looking for in your new team to help you make that change? And how do you, how much time do you give yourself to do that? Yeah, so when I went into Porter Davis, I was given the opportunity to take 100 days and assess the organisation, which included the people on the executive team and what we needed versus what we had and in the context of the strategy that we're building to go forward. So... I believe that sometimes there's a feeling of pressure on new executives to make change. My view would be you can't make good change unless you've had time to assess the people in the business. And the reality check is if it's a business that's at least mid-size or bigger, how can you possibly hope to do that effectively in anything less than about 100 days? So I do think that it's, it's, it's a sign of strength to take time and it means that you can act decisively and with the support of your board, because you've taken them on a bit, taken them on a bit of a journey, particularly around any people changes, because often the people that are there are the ones that the board, of course, wanted there. And you come in and you're perhaps suggesting to them there's one or more that need to move on. And that's a bit hard for them to take sometimes. <laughs> so, so it needs to be a bit of a journey, and that takes time. So if you flipped it and if, let's say, I was I was one of those people in the existing business and you came in, what should I be doing? What should I be doing to, um, to make sure I'm okay? <laughs> so obviously I couldn't guarantee that anyone was necessarily okay. <laughs> but my advice to anyone would be that just, just be real, just talk about your understanding of what your role is, what you think's worked, what do you feel frustrated by or challenged by? What do you think the organisation could or should do differently to make it a more successful place? I think I think the best thing to do is just to be open and transparent and be authentic and just be yourself and give the new person a chance to fairly assess you and the role you perform in the organisation. You know, that, that, that's so true. And I remember I had this candidate ring me up one time and she said, oh, I think I've upset the new GM. And I said, well, what do you mean? And, and she goes, well, I, he called me and he asked me, what do I think about the new division or the division or what he's doing? And, and she goes, and I told him. And, and I go, okay, tell me everything. Where <laughs> were you? So what I found out is that she was on the freeway and she answered her phone. Her phone on the front, Monash, mind, mind you, during peak traffic. And you're probably yelling at it people. It wasn't moving. <laughs> Not a good thing. And so she told, and so, um, she, she, uh, she told me everything that she said to him. And then I said, I'm going to tell you that if that was me when I got off the phone, 
I would say, this person is hard work. I said, you need to make a time with, with him, call him up yeah. and say, look, I'm sorry, um, I was on the Monash and I hope that my um, anger um, didn't come off wrong because I'm very passionate. And I said, because what you said to him, everything wrong without any solution. So you've got to go in. Sure, there's going to be stuff that's wrong, but what are the solutions? Don't just dump everything on his desk and walk away. I got to come up with a solution. And to his credit, he actually did say to her, thank you for this because I was worried. Fantastic. Great advice. You know, you kind of go with someone's new starting. And I guess that's something that even maybe even today going into a new organization some people have told me they haven't even met their boss yeah, you know they don't even you know it's been a year they haven't even met them what a year well, <laughs> that's in crazy person. Not been in person because yeah. <laughs> yeah. they're yeah they're talking on yeah they haven't met them in person and that and let me tell let me just tell the audience something that when a company is going through a restructure and a new person is coming in the people that are there are worried. And so the headhunters know that. And the first thing I would do if there was a major restructure with an organization that I didn't work with, is I would find out I'd know who the talent were at that organization, and they would be the target, because they would always be worried about, okay, are they going to bring their own people in? Are they going to, or they're not communicating to me, you know, I haven't met them, whatever. So a good a good leader has got to go in there and communicate right away or they're going to lose people. Yeah. That's back to our first topic, isn't it? It's all about communication. People don't do well in a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought I think also just a, an additional point uh, along the theme, another one of the challenges of prematurely bringing in people you've worked with previously into a new organisation, it can, and if you do it, do too much of it, it can unintentionally perhaps send a message that, those that were there before you were not worthy. And that's a very dangerous message to send, particularly if you don't intend to send yeah. it. <laughs> so, so it's just so critical to not do anything unintentional. And if all you do is recruit from outside the organisation, particularly from places you've worked with previously, it just sends a message that apparently, unless you're a part of a particular clique, you've got no chance of progressing in the organisation. Again, what a terrible message to send to a broader organisation. Absolutely. It brings in that tribalism yeah. and also you you risk losing corporate memory. And I've seen so many organisations just uh, let people go and the entire corporate memory has gone with it, which can be disastrous. Yeah. Well, and then they think I've worked so hard to try to get promoted and they just bring their buddies in or their friend. And that's where that term so-and-so brought their buddies in because what what's happened is that sometimes when they bring people in, they don't actually put them through a process. They just, all of a sudden that person has brought two or three people with them. So, yeah. you know, it's important that they, you know, especially as seen with all levels, but that there is a proper process and people are giving a fair go. Otherwise you'll, you'll be affected by the turnover of your organisation. You'll lose good people. Yeah, and in due course, there might be one or two or three talented people you've known from elsewhere that you may, in due course, bring into the organisation through a process, Uh, but that's very different to turning up at an organisation and within months of being there, there's several people that you used to work with are now in that organisation. It just doesn't make any sense. 
We've seen that happen a lot. We have seen it happen. That's right. A lot of times. (laughs) I can't even begin to tell you. (laughs) So, Adrian, if you were advising someone entering the workforce today or someone making a career change, what would what advice would you and I'm going to ask each of us to yeah. respond to this what would be the advice you would give them to how how to navigate their way from wherever they are in the organization to you know a very senior leadership role yeah, yeah so a few things as we've talked about first of all Christina spend more time in the office than at home so <laughs> throw that plug in uh, I think what's really important is that do, do what you want to do. Do what you're passionate about. Don't do what others think you should do. Um, so I just think that if you're going to be the best you can be, if you're going to be the best version of yourself, whether that's in your personal life or in your corporate life, and therefore have the opportunity to fill your true potential, you have to be doing things you're interested in, that you're passionate about. You've really got to follow your passions and follow your interests. And if you follow a path that you think people want you to follow, you will not achieve your full potential and you will not achieve the level of success that you'd like to achieve. So I'd really encourage people, particularly if they're looking at changing careers or changing organisations or in their, they're in transition, to really think about what makes them happy, what do they enjoy, what are they passionate about because that's the only way they're actually going to fulfil their potential. So I think that to me, after 35 years of corporate life, I've probably had that realisation I wouldn't have given you that answer 25 years ago, but yeah. that's, that's where I've landed. Yeah, and I have to I have to agree with you. Having gone through a similar journey, I did a lot of what others said I should do. Oh, you should go and do this because you'll make more money doing that. Oh, you should do yeah. that because you'll take the next step. But they weren't always things that were aligned with what set my heart on fire. So yeah, I hear yeah. Judith. What yeah. about you? Well, I think at the end of the day, yes, you have to be. You have to love what what you're going to do and what you want, what you're doing, the the area that you've chosen. But you also have to understand that there's hard work involved and there's things that you, you're not going to love to do, but that's on the path to your journey. So you've got, you've got to do that. And so, and you have to have a plan, you know, it's not just going to happen overnight. And you've got to start collecting your advocates and your mentors, because they're going to be instrumental in your, your, your list. Like I, I saw a uh, post today where someone said women are over mentored and under promoted. Well, my my response to that would be, you've got the wrong mentors. <laughs> like if, if you're not getting promoted, yeah. if you're not getting promoted, well, then something's gone, something's wrong. So if you're um, and you can't just rely on one mentor. You got to have a whole bunch of people, and they've got to be different people from different areas and walks of lives, and and build that connection. And you're not going to do that sitting at home, for one. You got to be out there, whether or not you are working remotely. So if you're working remotely, then what industry associate, um, association events are happening? What can I do to? I have to go out and see clients. Where? What can you do to get out to start seeing? Because they're not knocking on your door. So you got to make sure that you are building your profile, building and, and learning from other people, having a plan. Um, if anybody has not watched that movie, True Spirit, like it's called with Jessica Watson, watch it because she was like seven years old. She goes to her parents. I got a plan. I want to sail around the world. 
These are how many hours I need to sail. This is, I need to work two or three jobs to pay for this. I need to get a coach. And it's like, oh my God. And so what happened? She sailed around the world. So there you go. So that's my advice. Yeah, okay. I think I think you're absolutely right, Judith. I think that, that word intentionality comes back. And with the, the people that I've been coaching that are going through that transition phase at the moment, it is about having a plan. And we get together every month and go, okay, what are we doing now? So it might be getting, might be being intentional about getting to know other people in the organization. Don't have that one person key risk around your um who's your supporter. Make sure you have supporters around you so if that one person leaves you're not left left stranded you know be intentional about the upskilling if you need to improve your interpersonal skills your communication skills your storytelling skills whatever it is be be very intentional about it and I love what you were saying Judith you know have a plan and Adrian I loved your expression a safe harbor I thought that was fabulous um, because it is around having people that you can go to that you can trust to actually give you their words of wisdom. And then at the end of the day, you make your own decision because you're empowered to make your own decision. But have those people that that you trust. So yeah, uh, yeah lots of food for lots of food for thought there. Adrian, did you have any parting comments? I was just going to say that safe harbor concept, it's worked very well for me, particularly the more senior you become in organizations. You need somewhere where you, someone you can go to or more than one that that there's no judgment. They'll listen to what you're saying. They'll offer advice and suggestions. But at the end of the day, you've still got to work out ultimately what to do. But you do need somewhere where you can go. And the challenge that you have as you rise through organisations is if you share too much of what you're feeling or thinking, it can be misinterpreted or misunderstood or all sorts of things. So you do need to have a safe harbour that's typically outside of the organisation, but someone or more than one that are uh, very skilled and experienced that can really help enable you towards your potential. Yeah, I think that's really key because you're right, it can be misinterpreted, oh, that person's weak or um, mm. that person's too emotional or that person's not logical enough or there'll be, there'll be all <laughs> sorts of judgments that will come around that. So, yeah, great advice. Whatever language we put around that, whether that's a mentor, a confidant, a safe harbour, um, I think that's that's really, really key. Adrian, it's been fantastic chatting with you. Thank yes. you so much. It's amazing we haven't met given that we've been in similar uh, industries and similar paths. It's been fantastic to meet you and have a conversation. And, thank um, yeah, thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Judith. For more information about Every Step and our guests, head to everysteppodcast.com. To be notified of new podcasts, please subscribe via your favourite listening platform. And of course, follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics.